0: You're listening to Brand to Brand.
1: What's up, everyone? We are listening to the second bonus episode of Brand to Brand. Today, we have the absolute privilege of hearing from the Stacy of Stacy's Pita Chips, someone that I think... For any budding entrepreneur you want to hear from, from anyone that's involved in consumer products or direct-to-consumer, anybody that's trying to navigate the world of how to build a new brand, Stacy sold Stacy's pita chips back in 2006 when the company was approaching $65 million in annual revenue. They sold to PepsiCo under their Frito-Lay division. In today's interview, you're going to hear from her on her latest venture, Beeble Bars. The Are you eating a bar over there? No, no. This is not product <laughs> placement at all. I'm just so hungry. Oh <laughs> my. It's so good. Is this an unboxing right now?
0: Is this is an <laughs> unboxing audio video. This is an ASMR of Veronica Do you have Stacy's chips
1: over there too? Are you going to mix I'm the on, two together? I could mix. Oh my god. <laughs> Stacy, we have a new idea for you. <laughs> No, honestly, these it's are... some cross-branding opportunities. are
0: effing amazing. <laughs> They're so good.
1: Obviously, so excited to hit play in a second on this interview, but my conversation with Stacey, we talk about founding story, how she got started. I think the funny thing is that, and a lot of people are familiar with the story about the pita chips, but these pita chips were like an afterthought. They weren't the main event. And sometimes the best ideas are hiding in plain sight, and sometimes <laughs> when you launch something your go-to market, what you actually start with is not the product that people want. And you have to be ready and responsive to kind of learn from that. And so I think she shares some really awesome and really cool tidbits for uh, the budding entrepreneurs of what she went through, the challenges and the struggles that she uh, dealt with. And now she's got a new brand. She's already sold. She's exited. She's done her first venture. And now she's Uh, Off trying and tackling new problems. The world of of fitness bars. She's a badass. She's a badass. (laughs) A female entrepreneur. Touting female entrepreneurship. And uh, a, a story that I think, uh, you know, brings brings some joy to all of us. And, and a story that I think we're all in some ways cursorily aware of because we've all walked past a bag of Stacy's pita chips that have her name and and in some cases have her story on the back. Or we've all eaten an entire bag of them in one sitting. Well, so. that might just be you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really excited for this episode. I cannot wait to hear what Stacy has to say. She has a hell of a story, and when we think about female entrepreneurship, managing your business to an exit, and then thinking about what's next in that next chapter of your life, I think there's something for everybody here. With that, let's kick it to Stacey Madison. All right, we're ready to roll. Stacy. thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, Stacy. I think your story is... Absolutely humbling. And I think one of the things that's so special about it is there's so many people, so many entrepreneurs that are sitting on the sidelines that have business ventures, ideas, etc. And sometimes the best ideas are hiding in plain sight. Um, your story as an entrepreneur, both with um, your past venture, Stacey's Pita Chips, which in some ways kind of makes you a household name to some of our listeners. Now Be Bold Bars. Could you just share a little bit about your, your background to start?
0: Sure. And that's a very big window. I know. <laughs> but the pita chip company was started on a food cart in downtown Boston. And most people already know the story. But, you know, the nutshell version is, is really we wanted to open up um, a restaurant or some kind of a food establishment or a takeout place in downtown Boston. Didn't have the money or the capital to do it. So we ended up buying a food cart and um, making healthy roll up sandwiches. Uh, in pita bread and you can run out of anything on the food cart you know sprouts or whatever but you cannot run out of bread or you're closed so um we always kind of had this excess inventory over purchased the bread so that you know on a really busy we could handle any kind of day but at the end of the day we had all this bread so we cut it up and we baked it into pita chips um, and then the next day we got a new order of bread because to do a roll up sandwich, you have to have the el- elasticity like in the bread, you know, it has to be has to be fresh can't crumble. So yeah, we, we made these pita chips gave them away for free to people standing in line and then started bagging them. And then over the winter, it's not so nice in New England to uh, be outside on a food cart. So that's when I started you know, doing the packaging and selling some in advance and trade shows and things like that to get the product launched.
1: It's such an interesting story because you sort of set out to create this kind of food truck venture. And then the outcome of that was that you realized that. The pita chips were really just such a missed opportunity in the marketplace. And in your case, it was, uh, you know, your kind of commitment to not wasting resources that sort of created this.
0: And, you know, you've you you you've twice now used the word humble. And it is, I mean, you know, my business partner, Mark, he had a, you know, a doctorate in psychology. He went to a lot of school and I had a master's in social work and my license to private practice. And so with all of these degrees now, we bought a hot dog cart and refurbished it into a healthy roll-up cart. And um, talk about Humble. Two two things you mentioned, Humble and um, Pivot, being able to pivot. And Pivot is a very entrepreneurial word that everybody's using right now, is, especially with COVID. You have to be able to pivot. You have to be able to pivot. So
1: That's right. And you were completely self-funded with this venture, to my knowledge. Is that right?
0: Yeah. And. Um, I get a lot of finance questions, and financing today is very different than it was years ago. Where you know banks act, banks gave loans and money was might probably a little bit easier to come by. Um, however, we started it by uh, running up credit cards and. Uh, all of our savings and borrowing money from our parents. And I know that there are people out there that have done what's called the credit card shuffle. So you run it up and you and you keep track and, you know, oh, free, no interest or whatever, 90 days. And then whoop, switch to another credit card and then close that one and switch. And, and, and you know, you do that, you do the credit card shuffle. And, and we really started, that's how we started. <laughs> and we didn't know where we were going either. It wasn't like, you know, we had this laid out, plan. You know, we just were smart enough and able to figure things out enough that we could, when an opportunity came by, we could snag it.
1: Yeah. And when you speak about, you know, maybe not necessarily having a plan, I think not you know, a lot of entrepreneurs don't necessarily have the plan. What, what did scaling your business feel like? What were some of those growing pains that you had to sort of overcome outside of just simply, like, capital?
0: There's so many. It's the, the whole nine-year window is just growing pains. You know, luckily we had somebody's factory we could borrow that we, you know, another food cart person that we met, and then she would bake pretzels overnight in, at Boston Pretzel Bakery, and we would bake pita chips during the day and use her oven. You know, just kind of businesses helping businesses you know, helping, helping each other and, and networking the growing pains, you know, initially were, how are we going to make them? And then once we figure out how we're going to make them, then we were all right, well, what now that we're, we are in a position where we need to buy a bagger or something, we need to buy a piece of equipment. Are we going to install it in her place or are we going to get our own place? So you have to make these, make these decisions. And that's why I get so upset when people are like, oh, you just, you got lucky because it's those small decisions, those little decisions that you make each and every day that get you to where you are. And there were growing pains all over the place. We had all kinds of problems. We're a psychologist and a social worker doing manufacturing and, you know, machines breaking, pita chips flying everywhere. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's every day. <laughs>
1: I think it's so easy for people that uh, weren't necessarily at a seat at the table to say that uh, you had a lot of luck, but... There, you're right. It, it it is the sum of all parts. And as entrepreneurs, sometimes you end up burning the midnight oil. You'll, you'll do whatever it takes to fulfill the order or make it to that next stage in the business. And obviously, yes, we all need some level of luck. But um, there is so much more that goes into it. What about, um, you know, so much of building a business is like a people problem. What, what how did you kind of grow your grow your team or just? Figure out what type of key personnel that you needed while it was sort of that dogfight uh, when you were sort of early in the business venture. What did that look like?
0: Well, initially, my um, you know my brother who's also a psychologist, he came on board and just applied his his cognitive skills right into um, a lot of the operations. So it's kind of like, well, how are we going to make this on a larger scale? And that's why he's in you know a big reason with. Um, the bar company that we're launching right now is, you know, I was doing it on a small scale in my juice bar, and same thing with like the pita chips. And then my brother now has come on board, and he's like, "Well, if we're gonna do this, we're gonna do it a little differently, and and figure out how to go from small company to larger company." And what back in the day of the pita chip company, we didn't really have the internet so much which is a wealth of knowledge, but you know, that's kind of a parallel to what we're doing now is to, it's still the same skills. You have to be able to get yourself out there and to find out the answers to the questions that, that you don't know. Um, and you know, researching ovens for the pita chip company or researching mixers for bars, or it's kind of the same thing. You have to go out and, and find out and talk to people and talk to manufacturers and go tour places and Go to trade shows, and you know everybody's like, "But how? What do you do, dude?" And I'm like, you, "That you just get out there and do it."
1: <laughs> you have to confront these problems head on. I think one thing that yeah. I was so curious with us chatting today to k- kind of learn a little bit more about was sort of the deal that where you ended up kind of selling Stacy's pita chips to Frito Lay's, and I know you weren't planning on uh, that when you started the venture
0: yeah like we went to a lot of trade shows and at the trade shows we were approached a few times and we said no no and then they said you know somebody had told us once that when when you do 50 million in sales that's when you kind of get the attention of some of the larger companies so i think we were at about 63 million a year in sales which is um people don't always grasp that number like selling that many chips the sheer volume of moving that many chips and loading docks and truckloads and you know I mean it's it's a lot. But we were approached. We said no, and then they called back again a few months later, and then a second company within like three months, um, a second global food leader also approached us, and that's when we were like, well maybe we should consider selling, and we put together a team, and you know we interviewed different firms, got the team together. And then they put it kind of up for sale. So, and we, and you do that basically, even though you have potential buyers, um, you know, because who knows if there's two people that are interested, maybe there's ten. Yeah, you know, we wanted to find the best fit, and um, and you know, I think I really think we did. I mean, we sold to Frito, which is led by Pepsi, and they wa- they wanted us to to spearhead their health and wellness kind of platform and. I think we've, I think we've hit the
1: bell. That's a great story. And I think, you know, a lot of businesses, you start with a similar story that you have no intention to sell the business. It's just not even in the back of your mind, but uh, there are times and situations where your goals kind of evolve and change and, and and your life changes. And and now you've, you know, kind of had an opportunity to start your, your next venture that's still you know, and that's sort of in this uh, health food space. Could you tell us a little bit more about B-Bowl bars, which you're eating right now? Which flavor are you eating? Are you are you having the uh, almond butter,
0: almond
1: butter, almond butter
0: with chocolate chips?
1: I, I I got I got the peanut butter, which might be my favorite, although I did a, a survey, uh, a, a survey. And to be honest, this one seems to be the, the winner here with the almond butter. So.
0: Yeah, they they are really amazing, and they're they are a product that I launched when um, I started the juice bar in Needham. I had a juice bar. We still make them the same way, um, where we we basically mix, press, and pack it. And it's nut butters, different nut butters. Obviously, I'm eating the almond butter, you're peanut butter, um, chocolate chips, oats. We like to say we sweeten it with bees and trees. So there's wildflower honey and. Uh, Maple, dark maple. We have 18 grams of whole grains. We're gluten free, dairy free, and, and and the protein that's in here comes from eating real food, like almond butter, and we have nuts. We're coming out with one with Brazil nuts. We have one coming with macadamia nuts and with cashews. So you ask me my favorite flavor. Right this moment, I'd say the almond butter.
1: It's a special, it's a special bar. I think most, most of the time when you're eating something like this, you're sort of planning to bring a water or some sort of beverage with you because you can't finish the bar and make it through it without something. But these are just so delicious and extraordinarily flavorful. So much, so much more so than I think I was even expecting, even from kind sort of hearing about, hearing about them. So next question, you've had an opportunity to build More than one brand. As a serial entrepreneur, talk to me about what brand means to you. And then I want to talk a little bit about packaging and, you know, all the ways that you've been able to sort of create the brand. But obviously, this shows brand to brand. We talk a lot about branding. Would love to first just kind of understand what you think the role of the brand is in your business.
0: You know, I'll tell you, at the the tail end of the pita chip company, when um, we were at the point of selling and in the middle of it all, we had a fire. That really tells you the strength of your brand, right? Cause here we are, we haven't, we have, we're mid acquisition and really they could have backed out of the deal. It could have been, but the the reality is, is that they're buying the brand they're buying Stacy's they're buying, you know, that people love them and they believe them and they attach what Stacy stands for. It ties you know. It ties into the marketing and a lot of smaller companies that are that are building up their marketing and you know. And I remember back um, in the day when I was starting, uh, I interviewed the guy who founded Smart Food, uh, one of them, and he told me you take think of your of your marketing and your sampling and you know I wanted to sample, sample, sample. Think of that as uh, a fire hose, and you don't put a fire out. By going like this, all back and forth. You put a fire out by you go like this and you aim it directly at the bottom of the fire and, and that's what you do. And you have to think of your marketing strategy and your brand and building your brand in the exact same way. And and the, the, I'm not, I want to say that that, you know, that it does work to do the throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. So I'm not saying don't get out there and try, but always think through like it may be attractive at that moment, but you have to think through further. Like if you're if you're if somebody calls up, can we have some samples? We're doing a parade, and da da. The questions you have to ask is, does the parade go in front of a market that sells our chips? And then you have to you have to go one step further and say, okay, same thing with the bars. Um, even during COVID, right? We donated thirty thousand bars down to the hospitals down in Florida and stuff. But we were in Publix. It was our only store. And how are we going to get people during COVID to go buy them at Publix or whatever? We labeled. We literally took them out of every single box and put available at Publix on every bar. And then we donated them. Because how are we going to get the message to the people who are just opening it up? Otherwise, you're just, it's just trash. You just open it up and you're throwing it away.
1: I, I love it. And I think that sometimes people just, they they, they donate, they put their wears out into the world but they don't necessarily think about how they can actually make it so that customers know then how and, and and where to buy this is probably a great time to ask for those that are listening where where can they get these um tasty bebold bars
0: well we're trying to list every place on our website so if you go to beboldbars.com, uh you can certainly find the stores there obviously they're they're in Publix. we're in some of the Wegmans. We're sold in the refrigerated section because obviously it's nut butters and we don't put anything in them. So they are in the refrigerator, but they're still good for a couple weeks outside of the refrigerator if you take them hiking or whatever.
1: So we talk about branding. We talked a little bit about sort of the importance of your brand and your marketing. Could we talk a little bit about packaging? Obviously, like I've got I've got a, a Cinnamon sugar, Stacy's pita chips. I've got the Simply Naked. I've got your your Be Bold bars here. There's some commonalities and some dark packaging. What kind of evolutionary journey went through as you sort of uncovered sort of how to present the brand and how that brand is manifested in the packaging that you chose?
0: We just during COVID, we took the time and redid the packaging again. So in our in our new package, we wanted to take advantage of the equity that I have in my name. So w- the carton has on the shelf, the carton has a photo on the front, says from the founder of Stacey's Chip Company. We have, um, we, in- we invested in-, in the carton itself. We put like a-, a barrier halfway across so that our bars stand up straight. So we're trying to, we're actually trying to patent that, but
1: It's great that you're utilizing the brand equity that you already developed in your previous venture and you're bringing that forward. And I do think that as people are considering which bars to buy and where to spend their money, that that will mean something.
0: And um, we're doing this whole campaign, hashtag what's your bold, because we're also trying to build positivity into the brand. We all agree that right now what this world needs is more positivity, more recognition of, you know, people being bold, uh, women stepping up and getting back into the business world, things like that. So, you know, whether it's small or large, we have this hashtag, what's your bold campaign. And we're trying to really, um, you know, recognize when people just do a little something nice each day.
1: You started talking a little bit about some new uh, new flavors. Uh, when are these coming to market?
0: And so they're, they're rolling out a little at a time. When we start selling it to the buyer and the buyer, by the time they get it on the shelf and da-da-da-da, some are in the fall and some are in the beginning of next year. And on the, you know what, and on the internet.
1: Uh, Speaking of the internet, I know you guys have done some work with influencer marketing, obviously understanding that um, people that are prime candidates and ideal customers are into fitness and otherwise. What has your experience been with influencer marketing?
0: It's been, I mean, it's been great. We try to work with influencers. Who either they've come to us and found the bars and are just like, oh my God, these are so good. And, and maybe they did something and then, you know, and then we start working with them um, or, you know, if we've sent samples and they just get totally hooked, it doesn't benefit anyone unless, you know, you're a believer. And you have to be a true believer. So, you know, that's kind of our experience has just been. And, you know, and it's also how, so it's, so there's a difference, I guess there's a different, a little bit of a difference to me between influencers and like a celebrity who might've given you a plug. So for example, Jimmy Fallon was like, oh my God, we lo- you know, I love these, you know, and it's like, that's great, but it, it's only as good as how you use it. You got to bring that back home. And you know when somebody signs on to your website or something, you know like or when some or when somebody makes a purchase or something, oh, these we love these. you know what I mean? Somehow figure out a way to use it.
1: That's true. I think from a PR perspective, sometimes these big things can happen for a brand and sometimes people um, don't necessarily do a great job of actually capturing it. The work associated with creating an event or some sort of launch thing occurs and then we're all happy with the success that occurred there and then we don't take the moment to capture all of the different pieces and make them um, you know, make them work for us in our, in our, in our outward approach. Um, would love to hear you. We were talking a little bit before about women getting back into um, business coming out of COVID and otherwise, I feel like we'd be amiss to not just talk a little bit about female entrepreneurship. Do you want to just share a little bit about your, your views and your thoughts there?
0: Sure. You know, when, um, when shit was going down over the last four years, I got to say I was almost dysfunctionally upset about, some of the things going on in the country and feeling like we're moving backwards rather than forwards and um for me you know also being bold it has a lot of meanings but one of them is really stepping up and people are like well you know you already had a financial change in your life why are you doing this again why you know and i do feel that um I did have and I did and do have an obligation as a female entrepreneur that somewhat knows what they're doing to get out there. And you know what? It's one more business and it's, you know, it may not be changed on a global scale, but it does make a difference. When we built the PETA chip company and we had 300 people working there and we had It's not just us in our factory, but it's every truck that's backing up to the loading dock, every store that's out there that's selling the chips. It has this tremendous effect on, on everything, and so that's why you know I really think that it. I mean, it really helped me to get back into it um, when I felt really these last four years angry and and upset, and I'm like, well, well, how am I going? How am I going to channel that into doing something?
1: Well, you know, for a long time we've talked <clears throat> about corporate social responsibility, but I think we're seeing uh, kind of 2.0 of that now, where major brands are taking stances on big social issues, and I think the role of business in the world is it has changed. And now you are seeing major organizations, major companies um, take stances on things like Black Lives Matter, uh, the Me Too movement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I didn't I didn't see that role. I didn't see businesses taking those stances a decade ago. So
0: I know people are afraid and people are like, oh, I don't want to. You know, they're afraid that, you know, this one's not going to eat your product or something and. I don't know. You just got to get past that. And, and you know, at the same time, go back to kindergarten and conflict resolution when two of you are fighting over the same toy and uh, think, well, how am I going to move forward? So I think more companies that kind of step up and – um and do the right thing, and uh, you know they—they are just in the long run, going to—it it pays off. It does pay off.
1: A hundred, a hundred percent. People are looking for brands that are authentic. They want to see authenticity having a photo of you on the front of your bar, it creates more of a relationship. I think all of those things we're starting to see more and more so as the bleed between our personal lives and our work lives become closer and closer together. Well, listen, I I know we're running up to the edge of our time. I have one last question for you. It's a question I ask everybody that um, comes on the show, um, and that is what uh, few pieces of advice do you have for people that are sitting on the sidelines with business ideas.
0: It's kind of like when you're a kid and you're learning to dive, right? And you go and you scooch up to the edge of the pool and it's so damn scary. And I kind of think of the analogy as making the decision. Making the decision to take that first step is the hardest part because once you do it, then it's just a matter of, execution and doing it over and over again and i'll never and you know i'll never forget i went on a ski camp thing and i was on a slope that was way harder than i had ever been on and um you know and and the the instructor was like you know you just gotta put your edge of the skis right over on that mountain and and she's like you can't just do it slow you have the skills you have the skill set. Just scooch a little further and then just go for it and i went and i and i did and i scooted i was so so scared and and i and i went for it oh my god i went and i completely skis like yard sale everywhere and um yeah i crashed but you know what i went i got up and i did it again and you know you that's kind of the same thing as as you know when you're starting a business so you just got to make the decision in your head that I am going to do this and I am going to try it. Once that decision is made, you're there.
1: And you might fall and you're going to learn from every fall, every mistake that you make. You're going to get right back up and you're going to do it again. And and the nice thing is in this world now with um, this sort of gig economy and otherwise, people can start a business on the side. They can start it as a small part of their day. They can give it a chance. They can throw up a website or a landing page, see if people want to buy, if there's some um, interest, Kickstarter, whatever. There's just never been a better time, I think, to, to start a business. And so with that, I just want to thank you for taking the time to join me today and for joining us on the show, Brand to Brand. And, and uh, for those that are interested in, in learning a little bit more about B Bold Bars, check out the website. Check out your Instagram.
0: At underscore Stacy Madison.
1: Yeah. Anything else you want to say before we close?
0: Yes. I got to say Be Bold Bold, B-O-L-D. Be yourself outside of your comfort zone, little by little, do it again.
1: That's beautiful. Keep pushing yourself to reach greater heights. Well, you have a great rest of your day, and, and thanks so much for for joining us, all right? All right. All right, bye-bye. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to Brand to Brand. If you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button, leave us a review, and don't keep us a secret. Tell your friends.